Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast for the week of March 8th, 2021. I'm Jim Henson, Director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin, joined again today by Josh Blank, who is Research Director for the very same Texas Politics Project. On the front burner today, we have, not for the first time, immigration and border security. Governor Abbott was in mission today, did a one of numerous press events he's done, and maybe we'll touch on perhaps some of the rationale for doing multiple events around the state a little later in the podcast. But I thought today with immigration and border security on the front line for a couple of years, Josh and I would talk a little bit about all of this. And Josh, we've been, you and I've been writing something that should come out pretty soon, should we get the time to actually finish it, on immigration and border security and its perennial presence uh, on the UT Texas Tribune poll. And in a way, I don't want to overstate the degree to which this is true. The COVID pandemic, I don't know what the right verb is, and I think we've crossed it out in different ways in the piece we're writing, masked, sublimated, Mm. (laughs) you know, suppressed, the prominence of immigration and border security in the ways that it shows up in the poll, particularly in the salience items, but it's kind of on the way back, it seems to me, right? Yeah, that is, I mean, that's interesting. That is a tough verb to choose. I mean, I was going to say, can you suppress a preoccupation? You know, and that, and I mean that's really kind of I think yeah. the Freud the would way- say that's the basis of Western civilization. <laughs> well, okay, this is getting beyond my my expertise. <laughs> Let's bring it back to immigration. But I mean that that's right. So I mean, you know, I think the the thing that I think people should know as as a starting point here is that immigration and border security have been continued to and remain a priority issue in Texas and, and in particular among Republicans. And to the extent, you know, it's an interesting way you set that up. I mean, and to the extent that COVID has mask that i think what it's done is you know it's it's probably taken up you know most of uh i don't want to say just i have a bad analysis i want to say it's taken up most of the oxygen but it's taken up a lot of the bandwidth of most press coverage really of everything i mean you know covid and its economic impact uh you know gender dynamics racial dynamics you know the hospital system etc etc there's a covid impact on schools on prisons on policing so it's sort of hard not to talk about COVID, it's even hard not to talk about COVID in the immigration space, I think. I mean, even prior to sort of the most recent uh, influx of migrants, there was sort of, there was talk in the last you know, the last year or so about, you know, what about immigrants in detention facilities? What's going on there to make sure that these aren't, you know, going out of control? But again, that's just, again, it could have been anywhere else. But the subtext of all this is the fact that immigration and border security re- remain throughout the last year of the pandemic is a, is a priority issue for Republicans. Yeah, and it's been. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think when we talk about this, you know, in a lot of ways, as, as you were talking about it, we sort of migrated immediately to media coverage, which gets to the, you know, the underlying, you know, some of the underlying theories of public opinion and what shapes it, and elite cues and media cues. And I guess it's, you know, it's funny. You can kind of talk about it being, you know, when you talk about it being masked, I think it lends itself to framing it in or, you know, conceptualizing it in terms of the media coverage and elite discussion. And, you know, I I think you're right to point out that a lot of the 
the COVID coverage in which everybody, you know, media outlets have understandably and justifiably kind of flooded the zone lends itself to, you know, the coverage, you know, to stories and to news stories and coverage about COVID and X, Y, Z. And immigration and border security have, you know, entered into that. But then there's also the more cognitive, attitudinal sort of piece of this, you know, which you then, I think you were getting to, which is where it shows up in the polling, right? Mm -hmm. And how it appears and disappears and what the function, you know, where that comes from. Right. And when you say appears and disappears, do you mean in the polling or in the attitude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. In in our measurements of that attitudinal cognitive space or the best measurements we can muster. Well, and it's funny. I mean, you know, just to like, you know, draw the curtain back for a second. I mean, as a public pollster in Texas who's regularly assessing attitudes, I mean, we essentially have to have a conversation on almost every single public poll about whether and what immigration items we are going to include on this poll. Right. Because ultimately, really, you can't go that long without it coming up. I mean, as the current discussion makes clear. Now, there's reasons it's come up. Again, there's, you know, a huge crush of especially un- unaccompanied minors, uh, you know, straining the the border, you know, the immigration system at the border right now. And that is a real policy issue that is, you know, is, is salient. But the reality is, is it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. It doesn't really, but it doesn't. It doesn't really matter in time whether immigration is up or immigration is down. Uh, it doesn't really matter whether the state just spent a bunch of money on border security or the federal government just spent a bunch of border security or not. It still remains an issue. So, I mean, in the poll we just released, you know, taken in February, 23% of Texans said that COVID was the most important issue facing Texas. 25% of Texans said it was immigration and border, or border security combined. So ultimately, it's, you know, if you just take a step back, even just looking at Texas as a whole, you know, this is an issue that is competing, is competitive for attention with COVID as the most important issue facing the state. And that's, that's the starting point to understand this, I think. And then the next piece is that it's driven overwhelmingly by Republicans. So, you know, we'll, you know, we'll basically, you know, 13% of Republicans say that COVID is the most important issue state facing the state. 46% say it's immigration or border security. So nearly half of Republicans say this is the issue. This is the issue that the state needs to deal with. And this is true pretty much all the time. I mean, that's sort of the interesting thing. It didn't matter when Obama was, you know, Obama's president. He's apparently not dealing with immigration, you know, effectively enough. It's the most important issue. Donald Trump becomes president and he's going after the issue, you know, repeatedly. It's still the most important issue. Yeah. The context changes a little and yet that the salience remains remarkably persistent. And then, so, you know, and and I don't, I don't have all the data right in front of me, but it, it, you know, my memory is that the high point of the Republican salience of immigration prior to COVID, you know, it's routinely when we when we break out that the, the numbers you just talked about, mm-hmm. you know, it's routinely in the low to mid fifties. I think the high point might it you know it, it may have hit sixty. Yeah, around one of the one yeah. of the you know sort during of one of the crises. crises. But it dropped, pro- you know, I think it dropped down into the thirties at the height of the pandemic. Maybe early on, right? Yeah, but very. I mean, early, you know, I think probably April and June, it 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 ticked down among Republicans, and so you know, it's hard. You know, I, and we'll have to. You know, we should probably produce a graphic on this at some point. And yeah, it I was looks thinking like, about this morning. That's yeah, I mean, it looks like you know, if we're up at forty six right now, given what's going on the in the news and going on in the world, you know, we're on the way back. And and so let's talk a little bit then about you know the the politics of this. So Greg Abbott was in mission this morning. Is that mm-hmm. what we decided? Yeah, yep, Mission, Mission Texas. In Mission Texas, 
you know, did one of a series of recent media availabilities in which he talked about things other than the the recent blackouts and or and other than COVID for that matter, unless he was ending the the shutdown order and masking, which was, you know, the big event last week, which we talked about in the podcast. Right. Mission accomplished. But he had a lot of surrounding actors from, I, I believe, from DPS, from the Border Patrol, uh-huh. underlining the degree to which this is a crisis in which Texas is responding. And, and this comes amidst, you know, a certain amount of criticism, which I'm sure that they think is unfair, that the Abbott team thinks is unfair, that the, the governor is engaging in at best redirection, at worst misdirection in the wake of other crises in the state. I mean, I, I think it was in the yeah. Houston Chronicle. I think it was the Houston Chronicle. Yeah. Ran a, you know, kind of a big think piece that was organized around the fact that there were plenty of people willing to say this. Now, one can think that's true, you know, but also realize that stories like that are largely built on messaging from the governor's political opponents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. One, I think, you know, when you're mentioning whether it's it's redirection, you know, or not, I mean, one of the things I think, you know, in terms of discussing, I mean, like, I don't think there's a, it's not just about the fact that text that, you know, the governor is showing that Texas is responding to this, you know, what is clearly a crisis, but again, a perpetual crisis, just to set that aside. I mean, both in people's perception and also in terms of, you know, dealing with the the spring surges of, of migrants who come to the border and our inability to deal with it. So, so first and foremost, yes, right. Texas responded to it. But the other big message there is, and the federal government is not. Right. And so, you know, that, yeah, that's exactly right. So, the gov- you know, the governor spent a lot of time, to your point, in, you know, what I saw of the press conference today, which was most, though not all of it, placing the blame for this at the, you know, Squarely at at the feet of the Biden administration. Now, I think <laughs> a we month were, and a half into the job, <laughs> you know, just like you know, we've been saying, you know, for weeks that we should anticipate this, you know, if mm-hmm. not for months, and you know, it's it's arrived in full throat. And by this, I mean the use of the federal government as a foil, and the Biden administration as a foil for problems that are being experienced at the state level. Um, but you know, the, the the messaging from the governor was was pretty direct. And, you know, hit multiple points. I mean, he blamed the, you know, you were talking about the regularity of the spring surge, but he he blamed the magnitude of the surge, you know, quote unquote, because of the new policies of the Biden administration. Now, you know, there's a grain of truth in that. I mean, there, sure. you know, to the extent that, you know, there seems to be ample evidence that, you know, potential migrants, you know, get word of what's happening in the United States and the flows are to some degree influenced by what, you know, we used to call pull factors in, in immigration. That is things about what's going on in the United States that, that increase the flow of migrants or immigrants from, from origin countries. And it does seem like that is the fact and that the Biden administration sent clear signals that they were not going to be as restrictive and we're going to engage in more, you know, humanitarian policies than the Trump administration and there does seem to be evidence that the flows of, of folks, you know, are increasing and we can see those numbers. And and the governor made a point of, of, of providing data. I've not confirmed this. Uh, he said that there were, you know, uh, there had been, he, he said somebody showed him data today while he was at the border, just to mm, give the, I don't the like full the sound context. Of that. Yeah, that said that there were 108,000, there had been 108,000 migrants, uh, you know, this year after, and I think, I'm not sure if those are apprehensions or detentions after only 90 plus, yes, 90 odd thousand in the entirety of last year. Now, 
we'll see if those numbers hold up in, in some fact checking. But I think the broad situation is true. There is a big influx of people brewing. And it is it is a problem for the Biden administration, having having had Democrats through the the duration of the Trump administration criticize how the Trump administration handled this problem, including, you know, the inhumane policies at the border, including separation of families. Um, the Biden administration now has to handle the problem. And it does raise the issue that this was a problem for the Obama administration, as some of the, as you know, some defenders of the Trump administration pointed out that, you know, and again, there was some redirection here, but again, something to it that it's not as if the Obama administration solved this problem and then the Trump administration had arrived and screwed it up. Well, I think, you know, but that's, that's like, I mean, this is sort of, Unimportant for this conversation, but I just feel like saying it anyway. I'm saying it anyway. I'm going to say it anyway, which is, you know, this is the difficulty. I mean, this is one of the difficulties with this issue, right? Is that, and it's kind of, you know, I can make analogies here, but I'll just make it straightforward, which is there's a certain amount of migrant flow that's going to happen no matter what, period, yeah. right? That's just because of the fact that, you know, there are structural factors in the countries people are coming from in the United States that have nothing to do with immigration policy or who isn't, you know, or who, which administration is in place. They're going to draw some baseline number of people to this country. Every cycle, every year, whatever, it could change based on you know basically you know, conditions in their own country. But ultimately, like I would guess, and again, I'm not an expert in this area, so I'm just I'm making a guess, but I'm pretty certain about this guess <laughs> that the vast majority of the flow is that fixed flow. Ultimately, do these signals of the administrations, whether that they're going to be extremely punitive or less punitive, have impacts on on those flows? Sure, but for the most part, it's probably not. Again really a reflection of the main problem, which is that, you know, we have a broken immigration system that doesn't have any way to deal with this. So as we talk about federal issues, the other piece here, you know, in terms of what the governor had to say is that he was pretty critical, you know, there's this whole issue that the the governor raised in, in, I think it's being charitable to say they were alarmist tones last week because they were (laughs) beyond alarmist that, you know, there were, you know, people that had been released after being detained that, you know, then tested positive for COVID. And so now there's, there's been this sort of sideshow or this new point of conflict between the Biden administration and, and the Abbott administration about who is going to pay for and administer COVID testing. Man, I got to say, when you describe that, you get to the end goal right there, right? I mean, if you think about it now, who you know, you've got Greg Abbott, governor of the largest Republican state in the country, standing up to the new Biden administration in the first month on what issue? Immigration, yeah. Well, that's an issue yes. that we that we've described as you know, you know. I mean, one of the things that we always th- you know about we talk about Donald Trump. We say you know when when there was sort of more con- more uncertainty about whether he would gain the nomination, you know, it's whether he could even go on and be a viable candidate for the Republican Party. One of the things that was notable was his focus on immigration because we would, we said at the time we'll say it still this is one of the few issues that really can unify Republicans of all stripes. And so in right. a moment when everybody's talking about the divisions within the Republican Party, the fact that Abbott is making such a show of going out, talking about the issue that unites Republicans and casting it as – is casting himself really in a lot of ways as standing up against the Biden administration, it's a pretty good look for the governor, especially – I mean amongst his voters. Right. And so you know the politics of that or the rhetoric that surrounds that is pretty familiar. You know, The governor was – Made the point that immigration is a federal government responsibility, although hold that thought. And you know, yeah. as a result of that, that they should fund whoever does the testing. And then, you know, he made an interesting rhetorical play there by saying that, you know, the government, you know, the, the, the Biden administration was avoiding having ICE do that. And then he, you know, that then raises the 
the notion that that the Biden administration is going to be against enforcement, that they're going to be hostile towards ICE, which is the enforcement arm for for these policies. And so there was a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an effort to set a very familiar partisan frame in the way that you're talking about. But the reason I said put a pin on that, because one of the other themes that the governor pursued at the press conference and that, you know, unless I'm wrong, you know the DP. You know the DPS spokesperson there, and and others at the press conference were quick to underline is that the legislature, the Texas legislature, has been very proactive and generous in funding the border security program. So the DPS representative made sure to talk about how one of the aircraft and some of the vehicles they have that they're using to more effectively quote unquote, secure the border. And they had a couple of props there in the background. I'm sure accidentally in the camera shot, you know, had been paid for, you know, very with the generous and and attentive funding of the legislature. Um, And and Governor Abbott jumped in and basically reiterated the points, you know, in the way that he clearly wanted to reinforce, which is that, you know, he, he made the point that it's, you know, it's been very important to the legislature has provided $800 million in funding for the last, you know, I think he said the last few sessions, and that this has been critical to the fight. Well, obviously, appropriations hearings are going on right now. The legislature is working on the budget. And it was just last week, I believe, that in a Senate appropriations hearing, uh, one of the committee members made it clear that, you know, that budget appropriation was not going to be reduced. Now, this is interesting because, in fact, DPS tried to get an increase in that budget two sessions ago and basically got pushed back by the legislature when they hit what, you know, what seemed to me the, to be the, the magic symbolic mark of asking the, the, the legislature for a trillion dollars. There's a billion. Or, I'm sorry, for a billion dollars right. you know, to pass the $800 million to the billion point. And you know, it kind of opened it up for even some Republicans to say, you know, you're asking for a billion dollars. <laughs> right. And, you know, you're not really it's showing a, us, you know, what we're seeing is not a huge increase in border enforcement, but an increase in things like traffic citations in the border regions. And so, you know, I mean, I think there's an interesting balance here between using the federal government and the, de- you know, national Democrats as a foil in the way you're talking about. But the fact that the legislative game and the budget process is very much afoot right now. And at the same time that, the Texas state government wants to accuse the federal government of not fulfilling their responsibilities. They also want to justify continued border spending. Now, those two, that's actually an easier play now that there's a Democratic administration than there than it was when there was a Republican in the White House. But the messaging, you know, you have, you have two ideas in tension, right? You know, very close tension right there when you're you know, saying in one breath that this is the federal government should be taking care of all of this, but don't reduce our appropriations in the middle of, uh, of, the, of the legislature making those kinds of decisions right now. Well, well, the interesting thing is, I mean, there's such clear context for this in the polling data. So, you know, in the again, in the poll we just released, we were really interested in kind of setting the table for the legislative session before we, you know, because at this point, we don't really know what the specific legislation that they're going to look at is in a range of areas. So one of the things we did was we asked about spending in, in right. about, I think, nine different areas. So included areas like K through 12 public education, mental health services, health insurance for the uninsured, uh, you know, 
prisons and the penal system. I'm trying to think, you know, what else was in there? But one of the other things, and there was border security. And what's interesting among these nine things that we asked about it, and despite the the history that you're outlining here, which is a couple sessions ago, DPS came and said, hey, could we get like another eight, nine hundred million dollars for the border? And they said, yeah, let's do it. And we tested that at the time, very popular among Republicans, not among Democrats, but they've continued to do this. Having said that, we asked people, you know, does, does Texas state government spend too much, too little, or the right amount in all of these areas? And, and unsurprisingly, Republicans, conservatives, only said, did not say that they, the Texas was spending too little in any area except border security. Right. So border security is the only thing that moved the needle. Yeah. Only thing that moved the needle. 61% of Republicans say the state, despite this, again, almost billion dollar investment that they've committed to over the last few sessions, is spending too little on border security. Less than a majority would say that about every other subject. And what's interesting about that, yeah, I mean, there's sort of two takeaways to that from my perspective. And one takeaway is, you know, this is why, again, the politics of this are good. Talking about spending, you know, even if even if it is a federal issue, even if Texas is a conservative state that balances yeah. its budget, this is a desire amongst Republican voters to make sure the state is spending enough money on border security. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation here, it doesn't seem to matter how much money they spend on border security. Now, maybe if they spent a billion dollars and there were some headlines that said state spending a billion dollars on border security, you might get a little bit of pushback. But at least as of right now, and despite the, the massive investments that the state has made in this, you know, again, this federal responsibility of border security, setting blame aside, Republican voters don't seem to necessarily be saying, yeah, we've We've done enough. And this isn't to say we haven't seen this in other places. You know, a few sessions ago, there was movement on gun laws. We tested, you know, voters before the session on whether gun laws should be more may, be made more or less strict. Before the session, they wanted less strict, including Republican voters. After the session, a bunch of activity had uh, open carry, that kind of stuff. Share of Republican voters who wanted laws less strict significantly declined. It reflected the policy. Here, we're not seeing that. And I think that's partially because it's such a, a I mean, first of all, it's just a persistent and salient topic. But it's also just kind of core to what it means to be a Republican, at least as far as I can tell in all the polling data we look at. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is going to be a little reductionist when I first say <laughs> it, but I will I will qualify this. But, you know, we wrote a piece in, I believe, the fall of 2015 about the surge of nativism defining the Republican Party in the run as as Donald Trump's campaign was developing. And we were really looking in very in a lot of ways at the rise of this in Texas in the trends that we're now talking about that were already apparent between 2010 and if not a little earlier, but certainly mm-hmm. between 2010 and 2015. I think there is an interesting dynamic here in which in practical terms, as you said earlier, immigration and border security under most circumstances are great unifiers for Republicans, but it was that way before Trump, it was that way during Trump, we're now seeing that it's that way, at least post-Trump presidency. We can't push Trump completely out of the picture because he will not allow that per se. But, you know, and, and I think in the current context, something that is, you know, that, that which is very different than 2015 in a couple of key ways is that one of the other big pillars of Republican identity and ideology, and we talked about this and, and public image, and, and even though I hate to say it, Republican branding Oh. is both on one hand, immigration, border security, cultural identity. On the other hand, it's pro-business, good stewards of the political economy in Texas that we call the Texas model. Mm-hmm. The push for this at the moment to go back to the redirection point does seem to be part of a real concern that 
much of the public coverage and, and much of the outside view of Texas for the last month or two, if not a little longer, but certainly in the last month after the winter storm and the outages has been WTF is going on in Texas mm-hmm. that they're having a winter storm. I mean, I mean, I was talking to somebody connected with the international business community just this morning who made it very clear that from the perspective of outside, that's really what people were wondering. If yeah. you're from a part of the world and you're thinking of investing in Texas and you're from a part of the world that's above the tropics that deals with cold weather every year, you look at what happened in the last month and you're sort of scratching your head about the fact that hospitals in one of the major cities in the state, the major city in the state in Houston, ran out of water. Right. I think that got, you know, that got subsumed in a lot of things for us on the ground here. I wouldn't underestimate the degree to which that is playing very large in the national eye, in which I think the Abbott administration and, and the leadership in the state are pretty painfully aware of that. And so I think the, there is a real powerful desire to direct attention away from that while the legislature is grappling with this. And, and along those lines, I mean, it, it's been an interesting morning in Texas communication because we saw the governor do this press conference and send the kind of messages we're talking about and direct attention to the failure of the federal government and that this is their responsibility, trying to do that not only on immigration and border security, but with this whole thing about testing at the intersection, ironically, of the pandemic and border security. While over in the Capitol, Speaker of the House Dave Phelan was on statewide radio this morning on the Texas Standard, the state NPR show produced here in Austin, gave a live interview for the Texas Standard in which, you know, when asked about how the state was going to pay for the response to the power outages, he flagged it was going to be expensive. And, you know, to his credit, talked about some of the policy responses that he's been promoting this week including kind of a financial fund based on the on the the model of of water infrastructure that was implemented 7 8 years ago. Mm-hmm. But when asked how he was going to pay for it, said two things. Very, you know, powerfully floated a trial balloon about using the rainy day fund, which I think will, you know, we can just all assume now is probably going to happen. Yep. But second, what was the other source of funds? Federal money through the CARES Act. Right. So there's this continual kind of balancing of, you know, playing the different polarities and different valences of Texas's relationship to the federal government that I think is just fascinating. And look, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I mean, it's not that it's some do, particularly Democrats, and one might in some circumstances call this just base hypocrisy and move on. But I do think it is more complicated than that. And it can come off that way. But the structure of the budget and the structure of federalism in the United States and Texas's place in it is not going away. You know, another layer on that that I was thinking about as you were talking about it is, you know, at a moment when both nationally and internationally, you know, people are are looking at Texas with, you know, some derision, you know, if you, you could say more derision than usual, whatever you want it to be. But there's a narrative about how, you know, and at least nationally, I know the narrative has been how could, you know, this, you know, this muscular energy rich state that's, you know, so certain of itself, like Texas have this, you know, this problem that we'd expect to see 
in you know developing countries, not even in the United States, let yes. alone in a place like Texas, right? And that's the narrative, right? And that's a problem. Yeah. There's disingenuousness in some of that criticism, but you know, well, yeah, but that's it's not the, like I, it's not earned. <laughs> and I want, and that's the thing. I 100 percent agree. There's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of Schadenfreude. There's a certain amount of like you know, again, I I didn't grow up in Texas. I know what people outside of Texas think about Texas. So there's a certain amount of that definitely going on here. The fact that there's you know sort of an international side of this too, and especially with respect to you know sort of businesses and, and all that kind of stuff like that's all problematic but what i think another interesting layer in this and thinking about the turn back to immigration and border security on the one hand a clearly contrarian pose to the to the federal government on the other is it's it sort of it's a return to insularity right it's a turn it's a return in some ways to us against everybody else and you draw a line around the texas border and say you're on this side of the line or you're on that side of the line and right now it's much more of a discussion i think you know and i think that's something you're talking about branding but i think about this you could say this is all disingenuous i think a lot of democrats will say this is purely abbott trying to distract from again the storm distract from covid etc but but i also say you know and i feel like i'm always on here trying to like give the governor the benefit of the doubt and i'm just you know i'm just i'm just trying to give everybody the benefit of the doubt to some extent but you look at these attitudes this is what his Republican voters want, right? Again, you know, 46% that immigration border security is the most important issue facing Texas. On an open-ended, 24% brought up immigration or border security is the most important issue that the Texas legislature should take on. That's twice the share that said COVID. 72% of Republicans say that undocumented immigrants currently living in the U.S., there's more than 10 million, more than one and a half million in Texas, should be deported immediately. 40% agreed with that strongly. Uh, 75% of Republic or only 25% of Republicans said the state's increasing racial and ethnic diversity is a cause for optimism. 75% either said it was a cause for concern or they're not sure. The one area where this gets complicated, and I'm sure we should wrap this up soon, but the one area where this does get complicated is if the, the, the current surge that we're talking about is primarily made up of children. And that seems to be really what we're talking about here is, is these, these, you know, it has to do with the way that we handle children when they cross the border, but also our ability even to, to house them all. Once you start talking about children and immigration, it does soften GOP responses. We saw that with the child separation crisis uh, over, I guess that was two summers ago now. It was 2017. Yeah. It was two, three summers ago. But also, you know, when we ask about DACA, the program that allows, you know, people brought here as children through not follow their own, have gone to college or, you know, gone to the military and basically can get citizenship. You know, we ask about whether that program should be continued or ended. The share of Republicans who say that should be continued continues to increase. The share who say it should be ended continues to decline. So when we talk about children, it can get a little bit complicated. And that's kind of what I'm interested to see what the next step of this is. Because again, there's a natural punitive response and a natural prohibitionist response. But if we're talking about thousands of kids with no parents sitting in Texas, whether they're Texans or not, it's going to get a little bit more complicated to just go out and say, you know, we need to get everybody out of here. Well, I think that's right. And but I think I, I, and I think the governor telegraphed in his appearance today what direction they're going to go with that. And part of it is a play that we've seen before at the national level, which is to say that the presence of children is not necessarily about families, that we're seeing more children, we're seeing more unaccompanied children, and that this is a function of insufficient attention to the cartels and to criminal smuggling of children. Right. It's not about being, children is the answer. And well, when I would tell what I was going to say, what I was going to say is that it's, you can subsume this into... The idea that this is a policy failure by the Biden administration, the, the Biden administration sent these signals. Everybody thinks it's, it's you know, the border is, quote unquote, open now. And so it's the Biden administration's fault that this is happening to children and they're not taking care of the children once they're here. Texas state government, the Republican leadership, 
was hamstrung or couldn't deploy that argument during the Trump administration, during the family situation, and during that humanitarian crisis. They will be able to deploy that this time. The governor laid the predicate for it today, and we can expect to see much more of that, unfortunately, because it is going to be a significant policy problem and a humanitarian crisis on the border again. The national coverage has said that we're that the, the Biden administration is sort of desperately now searching for to, to open facilities and find places to house them. These are not going to be probably significantly more humanitarian than the ones that we saw during the Trump administration, at least based on the indications we're seeing so far. That's going to be the challenge for the for the Biden administration going forward. Um, and this time, unlike when that challenge is being faced by the previous administration, they'll be doing it under a barrage of withering criticism by Texas Republicans who were much less critical about this situation as it unfolded during the, the Trump administration. So we will continue to watch that. We'll, of course, have more polling on this as this unfolds. Jim Henson here. Thanks to Josh Blank for being here today. Thanks to the folks in the Liberal Arts Development Studio in the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin for, as usual, technical and production support. Be well out there. You can find much of the data we talked about at the Texas Politics Project website, texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.